Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations with Jeff Stein and Jean Meserve. Hi, I'm Jean Meserve, and welcome to a special edition of the Spy Talk podcast. We have seen a spate of ransomware attacks in recent weeks, most notably against a major fuel pipeline in the eastern U.S. and a major meat processor. Although ransomware, which essentially extorts businesses by holding their data hostage, can be disruptive and expensive, and although it isn't new, these recent attacks have opened eyes and heightened worries about the tactic. Joining me is William Evanina, who was head of the U.S. National Counterintelligence and Security Center during the Trump administration. After a long career in counterintelligence in the FBI, he is now the CEO of the Evanina Group. Thanks so much for being with me today. This, as I mentioned, is not a new technique. It's been going on for years and years and years. Why has it grown so large recently? A great question it has. And we in the government have been uh, working with state and local law enforcement, state and, state and local businesses, municipalities, states for the last decade, because they've been really hit hard the last decade from municipalities, hospitals, uh first responders to the, the medical community, to small businesses, agriculture at the local level, because their IT systems aren't up to speed. But what we've seen the last couple of years, Gene, I think is really uh, interesting, but yet it's disturbing. Historically, ransomware was set out to lock your computers down, lock them down. And hey, if you pay us X amount of dollars in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, or you pay cash, we will unlock your systems. We will give you the key to unlock your systems. That was ransomware. However, with the onset of new and prosperous groups in Eastern Europe, backed by nation state threat actors, ransomware is now about data. So now they're realizing there's a much bigger commodity value in the data. So instead of just locking your computer down, they are stealing the data and then proffering back to you. We'll, will you give us the money? We'll give you your data back, which is a big different uh, conclusionary game than just locking your systems down. That third-party data is critical, and data is the new international commodity that has a high price on its head. So businesses have uh, been paying ransom, even though the FBI advice traditionally has been don't pay up. Has that aggravated the situation? Absolutely. And, and, I, and I hearken this to uh, kidnapping, right, or, or terrorist organizations. You never want to pay a terrorist. Never want to pay the kidnapper. Easy to say when you're not the victim, right? At the same time, we look back into 2020, uh, the admitted payment was $350 million. We believe that's very low because that's just what's been admitted that they paid in ransomware. And again, that spans the ecosystem of a small municipality in Kansas all the way to a big city of New York City to a, a big corporation. So that's a lot of money. And I think we'll look at um, probably about a 60% increase in 2021. So why haven't businesses taken steps to protect their data? They just seem to have accepted that paying ransom is just another cost of doing business. 
Great question. And I spent a lot of time uh, in the private sector and I have in my old job. It's a matter of victimization. And if you're never the victim, you don't think it's that big of a problem. And I think it's an issue of, do we want to spend X amount of dollars in a cost center, which is normally what security is, and it's not going to derive any profit. My argument is you need to now look at security as part of your mission and not a cost center. Because if you don't lock your data down, and you don't have a resiliency or redundancy backup, and you don't have a third-party entity having a copy of your data, you're always going to be susceptible to a victimization of ransomware. And until it happens to you, you're always saying, well, that won't happen to me. And I think that's the, um, the identity we see now in the private sector. And we saw it a lot in the hospital associations that would happen to hospital A, and then hospital B would say, well, that can't happen to us. Because there's also a big gap, Gene, between the folks who protect the CISOs and the CSOs, that gap between them and the CEO and the board is very, very large. So industry obviously should take protective measures to um, keep its data safer. But what should the U.S. government be doing here? Um, President Biden has apparently spoken to Putin about this. They're going to be meeting in a couple of weeks. Is just chatting with Putin about this enough? Yeah. And again, I'm not a policy expert, but I, in my opinion, I would say no. I think there needs to be some uh, drastic measures. And you look at what's happened with not only Colonial Pipeline, uh, but also with JBS Meats. Um, they're both from criminal hackers, ransomware actors in Moscow, in Russia. Well, they don't do anything without the express written approval or at least tacit approval of Putin, the intelligence services or oligarchs. So that's clear. So I think uh, you want to make a statement here? Putin should pull, pull, Putin should continue to do what he's doing. He's putting pressure on us. President Biden should pull out of that summit or at least threaten to do it because if Putin wanted to stop this activity, he could do it. Do you think the U.S. should take retaliatory action? Um, I think we have, and we continue to do that historically. We've done that and not only with uh, the Russian Federation during the 2016 and 2020 election cycle with uh, the old IRA when they were influencing stuff so that we eliminated them. We've but, done should some... we, but should we be shutting down some of their infrastructure if they're doing it to us? Um, that's a great question. Now, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think we should be showing them that we're willing and able to do that. I don't think Putin believes we're willing to do that because the think tanks and the academics and the diplomats will always advise the potential for escalatory action. My argument is we, we spend a lot of our time on sanctions, financial sanctions, other sanctions. We, that doesn't hurt the Moscow ecosystem, doesn't hurt the Russian people. It doesn't hurt their economy like ours does. We saw just last month the impact when people were standing in lines for hours to get gas that wasn't there. Right? It's a small thing, a small uh, ransomware attack to a big pipeline. We need to make Vladimir Putin know that his actions are going to have significant consequences. And this is a great opportunity for the Biden administration to look at this from a multilateral perspective, economic sanctions, military action, cyber action, as well as, you know, intelligence community activity to show Putin that he needs to change his behavior. Do you think the international community is ready to unite to do those things? Um, I think they're willing and able for the right cause. But again, I go back to our industry. It's country by country, right? If, if you're not the victim, you always look outside and say, well, that's not us, right? So we got the Czech Republic to jump on board with Huawei in China. We, you know, Germany is looking for that pipeline, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline. So every country is different. Our 5 eye partners 
and some of NATO are behind us, but it's hard to really rally the troops when you are the only victim. In Spycraft, there's this mantra, follow the money. So a lot of this ransomware is paid in cryptocurrency. Are we doing enough to keep track of what's happening there to find the bad actors? No, I, I don't even know if we're doing anything, Gene. I'll be honest with you. It's been anything? a challenge for us. Well, we're doing some things. It's been a challenge for us the last five years to get on the cryptocurrency bandwagon from an intelligence perspective. Uh, I think the Biden administration has just recently uh, tasked the intelligence community to be smarter, more effective, have a deeper understanding of where the money goes around the globe. We won that battle with the drug war. We continue to win it with terrorism. I think now it's going to be an opportunity for us to understand how money flows in cryptocurrency if we're going to get to the end of the uh, train here and stop the activity. It stops with the money. And if those hacker groups aren't paying your oligarchs, then they're going to force the issue for them. So I think you're right on that. But I think the U.S. government, mostly in the intelligence community, Department of Defense, need to be more effective and efficient in understanding how cryptocurrency works. The Department of Justice has said that it wants to coordinate ransomware investigations. Is that an important step or is it not going to amount to much? I think anytime you coordinate anything, it's a great idea. So, so to, but however, we need to get past bringing people together for coordinated meetings, you know, on a civets or and we have to have an actionable outcome. And I think what you'll see from the Biden administration, Department of Justice is they'll coordinate, they'll put all the agencies in the right area to make sure we know what's going on. But at the same time, I think we're going to have to have actionable measures in a short amount of time to be able to facilitate this. Because if you look at what just happened, the largest pipeline we have in the United States crippled us. Now, a very, very large meatpacking situation where it really impacted our, we'll see what it does in the global market in our, in our grocery stores, but what's next? Electrical grid, electrical grid, are we going to have another hospital issue, situation? The automobiles, we have a lot of electrical things and everything we do. So it's really easy to you know, preemptively look at what's going to happen next, but we need to get ahead of the danger by affecting the actors as soon as possible. The one, two, three things you would recommend to get a handle on this? Well, I would portion it towards industry. Number one, every CEO should take the effort to gather his team his, across his enterprise and say, what are we doing about this? Where are we postured? Do we have resiliency? Do we have redundancy? Where is our data stored? Whose cloud is it? Where, are we sure it's safe? Do we have an insurance policy? What does that policy cover? What is our crisis plan? If it happens to us tomorrow, who are we calling? What are we going to tell our shareholders, our stockholders, our employees? Have that crisis plan in place today. But at the same time, understand that you can't fix this in one day, right? It's just not going to be one day to get resiliency, redundancy, and backup system. But you can look for help with big companies who do this for a living to be able to say, we want to back up our systems. If everyone backs up their systems, there's nothing to steal or shut down. So that's my first um, vector would be to the CEOs. Secondarily would be from the CEOs to force the government, the US government and the intelligence community to provide more actionable real-time intelligence to these threats that we have not been successful of doing in the last decade or so. Why have we not been successful doing that? I think we, we, we were successful subsequent to 9-11 on the terrorism front because we felt that danger. We saw funerals. We understood the the complexity, but also the urgency to share real-time data. We have not done that successfully because our collection is so unique 
and specific, and we don't want to lose that collection on countries like China, Iran, Russia, North Korea. And there's always been a, uh, a tepid fear that if we told private sector companies what our intelligence was, we would somehow lose it. The irony is with China and Russia, those investments and that threat, those countries work together with their private sector and their common element every single day. We're in the U.S., we don't. And I used to always say, just imagine if a U.S.-based company can invest with a company around the globe and get information from the CIA, NSA, NGA about that company, their ownership, how awesome that would be. And that's what our adversaries do. So I think we have to be able to open the aperture a little bit with our intelligence community, be more willing to share classified information with U.S. businesses. William Avenina, former head of the U.S. National Counterintelligence and Security Center. Thanks so much for joining us. Now I should mention CEO of the Evanina Group. Great to have you with us. And for all of you listening, join us again for Spy Talk. And remember to subscribe to Spy Talk on Substack. I'm Jean Meserve. Thanks a lot for joining us. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.